you got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Tonight we're going to jump right in, and um, man, I just want to tell you guys, that song, man, is, just gets me every time. I listen to that song all the time. And the picture is how strong God's love is for us. And I think at the core of every message, at the core of the message tonight, is the fact that God loves us. That, that we as undeserving people, as the Bible tells us in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one that seeks God. There's no one who understands. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues uh, practice misery and deceit. And it goes through this whole entire list of things. And it says this is every single person as a part of our condition apart from God. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need the love of God because it is the love of God that has pursued us and rescued us through what Christ has done through the cross. And apart from that love, we have no hope, we have no peace, and we have no chance of anything else. And when you get to Ephesians chapter 6, we've been walking through the armor of God in this series on war. And, um, and the cool thing about it is, the first week we talked about the real war. What is the real war that we face? <clears throat> and the fact of the matter is, our war, the Bible tells us here, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans. It's not against the things that we think are, the, are our war. And so some of us look at our parents, or we look at friendships, or we look at broken relationships, and we think that's what our war is against. And the scripture clearly teaches us here in chapter 6 that our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against those things, but it's against rulers and authorities and principalities and all these things in this dark world, these things in the heavenly realms. And we talked about that first night, how the devil uses different schemes in order to attract us and draw us in and how he uses the world to, to pull us away. And if you missed that message that night, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, you can look on there and go to our website and you can check out the podcast from all those messages to, check, to catch up. Or if you remember that and you want someone else to hear it. Then the next week we talked about the belt of truth. We talked about the fact that Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth, and he is revealed to us through the truth, the word of God. And what we talked about that night was is that there are absolute truths. There are these truths that are relevant for every person. There is a moral right and a moral wrong. And we don't define our own truths. And that there is a difference between opinion and a difference between truth. And a lot of times what we do is we take things like truth and we make them opinion statements and they're really truth statements. So we may say things like, well, it's no big deal. All religions worship the same God. They just worship him in different ways and call him different names. That is that. And so, you know, your Christianity is an opinion. Islam is an opinion. Buddhism is an opinion. And we reduce these truth claims down to opinion. And what I said was, and what I explained that night is, and I pointed out the flaws in that argument how that is not logical and when you make truth statements about something it is either truth or it is untrue Jesus was either God or Jesus was not God he couldn't be both at the same time either the New York Giants won the Super Bowl in 2012 or the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2012 they both could not have won it and so there's a difference in truth and a difference in preference and a difference in opinion. 
So when Islam says that Jesus was just a good teacher, a good prophet, but he wasn't actually God, that he really didn't die on the cross, and Christianity says, no, Jesus was God, Jesus is God, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was buried and he rose again on the third day, those are two separate truth claims about who Jesus is and about who God is. They both cannot be true, period. Then last week, Miles came and he taught on righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. And the cool thing about the breastplate of righteousness is this, and probably the most freeing thing in all of Scripture is understanding what righteousness is. The word righteousness means, if you missed this last week, being in right standing with God. How do I get in right standing with God? I mean, the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. I have this sin. I'm separated. I'm, I'm away from God. In fact, the Bible tells us we are in rebellion to God. And you know that in your life. If you're here tonight and you're like, man, this Christianity stuff's a bunch of bull crap and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I used to believe the same thing. I was in full rebellion to God. And the Bible tells us that is the condition of every single one of us before we give our lives to Christ. We are enemies of God, in rebellion to God, running away from God. And the Bible tells us that what Jesus has done on the cross for us is that he has, allowed, he has provided a way for us to be back in right standing with God. And so the Bible says this, he who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, Jesus was sinless, became sin on our behalf. He took our sin from us. He became our sin on the cross. He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, hold on a second. We become the righteousness of God in Jesus? Yes. What does that mean? This is what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of God. Listen to me. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you and your sin anymore. He sees Jesus. Literally, the picture is this, and the scripture tells us that we are justified. The word justified literally means the judicial act, God as the judge, the judicial act is a law term in which God declares us righteous. God looks at us, and we are not righteous, but God looks at us in the courtroom and says, you are innocent. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees Jesus. When God looks at Matt, he doesn't see Matt, he sees Jesus. And so literally, we can say, I am the righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done. That didn't settle very well with some of you because you hang on to so much guilt about the things that you've done in your life. And you hang on to the bad things that you have done and the offenses that you've committed and you think there's no way that God can forgive me. Not only has God forgiven you, but the Bible says he's taken your sin as far as the east is from the west. He has taken you out of your current condition and he has placed you in the family of God. He no longer calls you enemies, but the Bible says he calls us sons. He, the Bible tells us that no longer are we enemies of God, but now he looks at us as the righteousness of God. So literally, literally, I am the righteousness of God. When God sees me, he sees me just as righteous as he sees Jesus. Am I? No. But that's how God sees me because of what Jesus has done. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what the gospel is. 
And we talked about, even a few weeks back before we started this This Is War series, what is the gospel? And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, this is of first importance. This is the gospel. Listen to me. If anybody ever says, hey, what is the gospel message? This is the gospel. Gospel means good news. What is the good news? The good news is, is that this is of first importance, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The good news is, is that though we were enemies of God running from God, God chose to send his son, Jesus. God became flesh. As John chapter 1 tells us, he lives a sinless life. He goes to the cross, taking our sin on, on, on our behalf, so that now we go from being enemies to sons of God. That is freaking good stinking news. Good news. And that's why we celebrate and that's why at the end of the night, we're going to sing some really celebratory songs to celebrate who God is. That's why when I'm down here in the front and we get to singing these songs, I'm raising my hand towards God. Not because I'm a dork, but you can call me a dork if you want to. I don't freaking care because I don't answer to you. I answer to God. I, as Galatians 1 says, I'm not looking for man's approval. I'm looking for God's approval. And so when I'm down here, I'm like, you know, I don't care about anybody else in this room. God, you are holy God. I was wretched. I was a sinner. I was lost. I was unrighteous. I was an enemy of yours. Yet even being an enemy of yours by your grace, I didn't deserve it. You came and rescued me so that I can have fullness of life in you that's the gospel listen that's what people die for that's what people die for you say what do you mean people die for in Nigeria this week Islamic radical extremists walked into a church opened fire and killed 21 Christians worshiping on a Sunday morning Easter, 11 Irani Christians worshiping in a house church were arrested for taking communion on Easter and face apostasy charges, which is punishable by death. In 50 countries around the world, it is illegal to preach Jesus and to own a Bible. And these people literally every single day risk their lives to worship. God. That's legit. And when you get to this passage here in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just telling you, this is one of my, I've been so excited about this week. I want you to notice what he says, and I just want to, I want to read through it, and he says, he says, we'll start, uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read the passage for tonight. I'm going to go, he says, and with, he's talking about, he says, put on the full armor of God, put on the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth, and, and then he says, uh, and then he says, and then your feet your feet should be fitted or sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Your feet should be fitted for the gospel of peace. How many of you guys know who Terrell Suggs is? A few of you guys do. Some of you guys do. Y'all football guys do. Let me tell you something. If you don't know who Terrell Suggs is, Terrell Suggs is the most feared defensive player in the NFL. He's an outside linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. He was the 2011 Defensive Player of the Year. Dude had like 12 sacks last year. This guy is a stinking monster. He's fast. He's strong. He's tough. I mean, no one can stop Terrell Suggs. He is a man-child beast mixed with like a gorilla, like slash drag. I mean, this dude's a beast. You know what I'm saying? And that's who Terrell Suggs is. 
And if you've been watching ESPN or any of that kind of stuff, <clears throat> Terrell Suggs yesterday was playing basketball and he tore his Achilles tendon by his foot. And his season for 2012 is ended before it's even began. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how good you are at the game of football. It doesn't matter how well you read offenses. It doesn't matter how good of a rusher you are and how good your swim move is. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, if you can't run, if you can't use your leg, you cannot play. You can't play. And as a Roman soldier would put on his armor, he would completely understand this. Because a leg wound or a foot wound in battle was basically a death sentence. If you could not escape your opponent, if you could not move into certain positions to be ready for the battle, if you were to be struck on the leg, you would, it would be impossible for you to get the upper hand in the battle. And so this tells us that he talks about the feet with readiness of the gospel. The picture is of the Roman armor where they would, they would have armor that would cover their shin and they would have these sandals on their feet where they would take nails and spikes and put them through there so they would, they would fit firmly on the ground. They were kind of like cleats and so that they would be in ready position. And so the kind of the title of the message tonight is to be ready and to have a firm foundation. But before we get there, before we get there, I think it's important for us to look at this. Notice what it says. Your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? See, this is the most frustrating thing for me as a youth pastor. This is the most frustrating thing for me as, as someone who loves students, who's poured their lives into students. Actually, May the 15th, coming up here in like a week, will be my 10-year anniversary of being a youth pastor. I love this. I live for this. I'm passionate about this. Yes. Just to put that in perspective, the average, the average life expectancy of a youth pastor in ministry is 14 months, period. And dude, this is how most Christians live their life. Just limping around. Limping to the next thing. And let me tell you something, man. When you're limping around everywhere, let me just tell you, you're going to get defeated. See, he talks about the gospel of peace here. And, and this whole entire passage is kind of a, a look back at Isaiah 52, 7, which says, The messenger of good news, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The gospel who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Basically, he's saying these are the people that bring good news, and the good news brings peace. This is a gospel of peace. This is a gospel of peace. In fact, Paul, who writes over half the New Testament, he writes many of the letters of the New Testament to the churches, like 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, what we're reading here, and, and on and on and on. He writes these letters, and in almost every single one of them, he starts out this greeting, grace and peace to you. See, grace is, this is, this is not just a greeting, this is actually even a gospel picture. He's saying, look, grace is the root of your salvation. Your salvation begins in God's grace, Him giving you this undeserved righteousness that you don't deserve. But the fruit of your salvation is peace. 
And the Bible says you'll be known by your fruits. In fact, the Bible tells us the fruits of the Spirit, or in Galatians 5, the people who, who are children of God, the Bible tells us that they will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, and he goes through this whole list of them. But listen to the ones that are in there. Peace is in the fruits of the salvation. And so basically what he's saying is this, is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should have a peace within you. Let me ask you a question. Where are you with peace in your life? Where are you with peace in your life? See, it struck me a couple weeks ago when we had the microphone up here and people were coming up and they were sharing testimonies about things that they had overcome and even things that they had not overcome yet. And almost every single student that came up here and gave a testimony that night said, I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with depression. Let me tell you something. You cannot have the peace of God and be depressed. You cannot have the peace of God and be depressed. And so then this is what happens. We as Christians, we go to school and we're limping around and we're depressed and our head's down and life sucks and life is this and my family situation is this and my this situation is that. And then non-believers are looking at us and they're like, what the heck, man? Why would I want to come to your church? Why would I want to give my life to your God if that is what it produces? See, I think that the reason that many of us are depressed, the reason many of us are depressed is because we don't have the gospel of peace. The reason many of us are struggling and battling and it feels like everything in our life doesn't go our way is because we don't have the peace of God in us. Because I'm here to tell you that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what that means is if I lose everything in my life, if I lose my wife, if I lose my house, if I lose my cars, if I lose this ministry, if I lose everything in my entire life and I still have Jesus, the Bible tells me that I, he is still my peace, he is still the prince of peace, and I still have gain. That's the reason Jesus says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust steal and where thieves break in and where thieves, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How are you doing with peace in your life? See, I think that the reason we struggle with peace so much in our life is because we don't understand that when the gospel comes in our life, Jesus, the gospel not only saves us, but the gospel also begins to work in our lives, and the gospel gives us joy and peace, and the fruit of that salvation is joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, and when you look at your life, if you don't see those things as the fruits of your life, let me tell you something, you probably don't know Jesus, you probably don't have a relationship with him, you say, but I've been in church my whole life, my parents this, my this this, I prayed this, I dunked in the tank this time, or this or that or whatever. Let me tell you something. Based on God's holy word, you will be known by your fruits. Man, this is critical. A mark of a person who knows Jesus is a peace. 
And that's what he's talking about here. He's like, look, man, if you're going to take the gospel of peace, you're going with this readiness. You're going with this firm foundation. You're walking in with this peace. And people see that peace in your life. They see it through the way that you talk and through the way you act and through the way you carry yourself and the way that you're humble and the way that you're gentle and the way that you're kind and, and the way that you have this joy in your life. And they're like, dude, what the heck is different about that guy? Like something is different about that guy. Yeah, you know what it is? It's, it's the gospel of peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, now resides in me, and he's declared me righteous, and I have everything to rejoice about. Yeah, but man, your parents got divorced. Yeah, but I got Jesus, man. Yeah, 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 but this situation happened. Your friend committed suicide. I understand that, man, and that's a difficult situation, but I have the Prince of Peace. One commentator says this, it says, The peace of Jesus within us forms a beautiful contrast to the raging of the outward conflict. Those outward conflicts going on around us. And I think that what happens is sometimes when we're talking about peace is that for some of us, we need a perspective check. We need a perspective check. I was talking to my friend Jonathan. He's, he's a pastor, and dude, dude, his church is just unraveling. They're losing hundreds of people. There's chaos on the leadership team of the church. There is, his wife doesn't want to be there anymore because there's not many young people at his church, and he's a progressive thinker guy, and it's sort of a traditional, kind of laid-back, stuffy, judgmental church, and some of you guys have, may have been a part of a church like that, and it damaged you like it damaged me when I was a kid, and it's, and it's not what Jesus is about, and it's not what the church is supposed to be about, but nevertheless, he's in this situation, and he calls me, and he's in tears. I mean, this is a grown man in tears telling me, dude, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this situation. And of course, I'm like, yeah, you get him. You throw the elbows on him. You know, I mean, I'm like, you know, because I'm intense like that. And he calls one of his mentors. I was talking to him the next day, and dude, he had all this joy and he's happy. And he's, I was like, dude, what the heck is going on? What's going on with you, man? He's like, I called my mentor. And I was talking to my mentor on the phone yesterday. I was crying and I was just pouring out my heart to him about all the things that were going on and how everything in my life was unraveling and how I didn't even know if I wanted to be in ministry anymore. My mentor said, Jonathan, Jonathan, stop. Let me ask you a question. Does your wife still love you? And he said, well, yeah. Does your little daughter still call you daddy? He said, yes. He said, is Jesus still risen from the dead? He said, yes. He says, isn't that enough? I mean, God has already given you grace upon grace upon grace. But all you can see is the circumstance and the situation of turmoil and trial in front of you. And you are completely missing the peace of God in your life. Completely missing it. And I think sometimes for many of us, including myself, we need a perspective check. Let me just be honest with you guys right now. Let me give you the situation around the world because some of you guys aren't aware in our United States American bubble. You realize that if you are living a household with a combined income, if your mom and dad together make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. If you own a car, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. In other words, you are richer than 99% of the people on the planet. 
Two-thirds of the people that live on planet Earth, two-thirds live on less than $2 a day. And over a billion people on the planet live less than $1 a day. There will be 799 million people that will go to bed tonight without a single bite to eat. I was in Nicaragua last week sitting, uh, while you guys were having service, I was sitting in a, in a, uh, on the porch of this lady's house, which was about the size of this stage with a dirt floor, and she was sitting in a chair, we were having a conversation, and up to two, two years ago, they had no water, they had to, they had to get up at 2.30 a.m., take as many buckets that they could, and travel 10 miles, stand in a line from 5 a.m., until 2.30 p.m. just to get water, then walk it back to their house 10 miles and repeat the process every day in order to live. In order to live. And the ministry we're going to be working with down there has brought wells in there and they have running water now. And she was talking about that. This lady told me that every single morning her husband wakes up at 3.30 a.m. He hikes with the rest of the people in the village 10 miles to a volcano. They pick up sticks that have fallen from the trees because if you cut down the trees, it's illegal and you can be arrested. They pick up sticks that have fallen from underneath the trees all morning long. They walk those sticks back to their houses as much as they can carry and they sell those on the streets of their house for people to have firewood and the city people come in and they take it and they buy it from them and it's enough money for them to have a meal for that day. We just need a perspective check. You don't know real suffering. But here's the deal, that is, that is material poverty. That is material poverty. Here's the reality. Material poverty is not the only poverty. In fact, I think material poverty of all the poverty is probably the least of all the poverty. They're, the greatest of all poverty is spiritual poverty. And the reality is, is that the reason most of you in this room, many of you in this room, are going to walk out of here tonight depressed, thinking about suicide, cutting yourself, eating disorder, name it, name it, name it, name it, name it, is because you don't have the peace of God in your life life because you are living in spiritual poverty apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus. And that is truth, not opinion. I want to show you guys a video just to put some things in perspective. And I think that what I want you to get out of this video, this guy's name is Nick. I want you to see Nick's situation and condition, and I want you to listen to the last thing that Nick says before the video ends. This is a five minute and 39 second video. I know for some of you guys that is an eternity, but I assure you he will keep your attention. Pay attention, this is awesome.
Are you living a life of loneliness? A life of fear? A life of defeat? Want to live a life of victory? I wasn't ready! Good morning, everybody! Good morning! Nice to see you. My name is Nick Vujicic and it's a pleasure to be with you. I have no arms and no legs and I was actually born this way. And it's so funny when people see me for the first time. It's so cool. You're like, kids freak out. You know what I'm saying? Um, I tell you, this little boy came up to me and he goes, what happened? <laughs> and I went up to him and I go, cigarettes. And uh, so I have no limbs, but I have my little chicken drumstick. And uh, You like that? Well then... And get some techno going like, here we go. One, two, three, four! But honestly, along the way, you might fall down like this. Ready? Right? <laughs> Hello! Right. So what do you do when you fall down? Get back up. Everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. And fear comes in. You know the fear that you have as soon as you walk into the doors of your house. Maybe there's a broken home. Maybe you have doubt in your life. Maybe you don't know for sure what's going to be happening in the future and it scares you. Maybe you're, about, you, maybe you're worried about what people think of you, what people say about you. Just that fear paralyzes you. And I just want to ask you today, do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up, but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, and if I fail 100 times, if I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. For as long as I try, there's always that chance of getting up. Does that make sense? And it's not the end until you've given up. And just the fact that you're here should persuade you that you have another chance to get back up. There's still hope. I'm not here today to tell you that I understand your pain. I don't know how it feels to be abused. I don't know how it feels to feel, quote, fat and you've got an eating disorder. I don't know how it feels to have a broken home. I don't know how it feels. But I know how it feels to have a broken heart. And I know how it feels to be alone. 
And I want you to know that I found my strength in Jesus Christ and you're going to find your strength in whatever you find it in. But I just want you to know that it's not the end. It matters how you're going to finish. Are you going to finish strong? And you will find that strength to get back up like this. stand up the victory is when I know that I can't do this on my own if God can cause a man without arms and legs to smile then God can definitely cause us to be thankful and to hang on to the hope that we have if I am here to tell just one more soul about Jesus that they may spend eternity with God no matter what God puts me through here on this earth, I know that I still can be you. I said, God, if you made me without arms and legs just for one more soul, then it's all worth it. If you're praying for a miracle, if God doesn't give you the miracle, you will be the miracle for somebody else. your excuse you say how can a man with no arms and no legs be that joyful and have peace in his life yet my life's falling apart Jesus listen Jesus I like what he said that Even if God gave him no arms and no legs so that one person would come to Christ, it would all be worth it. This is what this passage is talking about. Having a feat with the readiness of the gospel. Scholars talk back and forth about what this readiness means. And some scholars say firm. It means a firm foundation. And I believe that both of these, whether it's being ready or whether it's being firm, are, are, two, are two biblical principles. But here's the reality. We have our firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And, and, and he talks about the position in which the soldier would stand in in readiness for battle as he would have the, the spikes on his shoes holding him into the ground as he would be, be ready for the battle, this firm foundation. And the Bible tells us that in order for us to have a firm foundation, foundation we have to build that foundation on Jesus and it is impossible for you to be a follower of Christ based on the scripture and other people not see that in your life let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says you are the light of the world he's talking to us he's talking to believers he says if you're a Christian you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, a city on the hill and all of its lights, you can't hide that. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, if you say you're a Christian... 
and your life is like this right here, and you're hiding the light of God in you, and the people around you have no clue that you are a believer in Jesus because they cannot see the gospel of peace inside of you. Let me tell you something. If you are a believer, listen to me right now. Stop it. Stop living in defeat because Jesus has already given you the victory. And if that is the pattern of your life, and it's always been the pattern of your life, let me tell you something. Maybe it's because you don't have Christ in you. And you need a relationship with Him. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about the wise builder, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, he's talking about his words, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock, a firm foundation. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it came down with a great crash. You know what the difference in a leader and a follower is? A leader stands with a firm foundation. A follower goes with the ebb and flow of the crowd. And so what a leader does is, when people begin to criticize God, they take a stand because their foundation is on the rock. But this is what happens. What we do is, we set our foundation on a girlfriend, or we set our foundation on a boyfriend, or we set our foundation on some peers or best friends because we want popularity or whatever, or we set our foundation on a sport, or we set our foundation on whatever. And what happens is, is that when the rains and the storms of life comes, because we haven't set our foundation on the rock, Jesus Christ, we are washed away Likewise, in football news, if you saw one of the greatest linebackers in history, 11 Pro Bowls, second all-time, in the Hall of Fame, Junior Seau committed suicide yesterday. I was watching an interview by Skip Bayless, and Skip Bayless said that he had, he had spent some time and he had talked with uh, Junior Seau, and, and basically what he said was is that Junior Seau was so committed to the game that he lived for every Sunday. When that was taken away from him, he did not have a clue how to live his life. And he just talked about how this is just awesome. It shows his love for the game. It is not awesome. It is freaking tragic that he built his life on a freaking game of football on sand. And when the football was gone, his life was over. It's sand. And the Bible says, build your life on the rock, on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, we need to have feet with readiness. When you walk around, basically what he's saying is when you walk around, you carry the gospel with you. You carry it with you. And, and a part of that, but sitting on the hill and all that kind of stuff is basically you are the light. As a believer, you can't hide that light. And because of that, people around you see that light and it, and it has impact on them. And the picture of it is this, is that you are all ministers of the gospel of peace. 
A lot of times what we think is, is that because a guy is a pastor, he is the one who is responsible for sharing the gospel. And he's responsible for the one carrying the gospel of peace. And the Bible tells us, no, we are all ministers. If you call yourself a believer, you are a pastor, you are a minister, you are one that would carry the gospel. And I believe this, God is calling up and God is raising up people in this room to be doctors, teachers, firemen, lawyers, name it, plumbers, electricians, to go and use the skills and gifts that he has given you for his glory so that people in those industries, people in those marketplaces and workplaces can see the gospel of peace in your life so that their lives can be changed. And equally, I believe that there are some of you in this room that God is calling out to be pastors. Youth pastors, senior pastors, children's pastors, worship pastors. God has placed within you something and you can't shake it and you're like, man, I want to live my life for the gospel. I want to live my life like Nick does, just going around and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Like, I feel like God's calling me to be a pastor. Just like he called me when I was 17 years old as a senior in high school. Had no clue what I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't know where I wanted to go to school. My grades kind of sucked and I wasn't going to be able to get any good school. Anybody relate to that? Yep. <laughs> And listen, as this novel idea came to me, I was a new Christian, I began to pray and ask God what he would have me do in my life. Let me ask you guys something. Some of you guys want to be teachers and doctors and lawyers and this and that and whatever because you have people in your life that are influenced of this or that because you want to do it. But let me ask you something. Have you asked God what he would have you do with your life? Have you taken your dreams and your plans and laid them down at the feet of God and said, God, what would you have me do? Listen, none of you, before you leave this place and go off to college, every single one of you should spend time praying and asking God, God, what would you have me do? What is your will for my life? Is it to be a teacher or is it to be a pastor? Is it to be a plumber or is it to be an electrician? But God, put me wherever you would want to put me so that I can share the gospel of peace. I don't care about how much money I make. I don't care about how many things that I have. I don't care about all of that kind of stuff. I just care about letting the gospel of peace go forward so that people who are living as enemies of God, who are living separated from God, can see the righteousness and experience the peace of God through a relationship with Jesus. Feet with a readiness. Being ready. In fact, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but your hearts, with your hearts, revere the Lord. There's a respect, putting God in the proper place. Always be prepared. Listen, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. When people see that hope that you have and they ask, he says, always be ready to give an answer. Always be ready to give glory to God. Always be ready to tell them about Jesus. He goes on in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says, preach the word and be prepared. Be prepared in season and out of season. Listen, this is what he's saying. When people come to you and ask questions, be prepared. Here's the reality. I learned a long time ago that people who don't believe in God and atheists and people, all this kind of stuff, they have no good argument against Christianity. They have no good argument against God. They have no good argument against Jesus. But this is what happens. They go and they talk to Christian teenagers who are the same age as them, and because you don't know why you believe what you believe, and you've never studied God's word, and you don't know how to answer their questions, they say, aha, you don't know the answers to my questions, so you're wrong. And I'm telling you, I've spent the last 12 years of being a Christian studying my face off, re reading broadly, studying diligently, 
And look, I'm fully confident that there are very few questions that anybody can ask me about the gospel, about God, about Jesus, about atheism, about Islam, about any religion in the world, about anything else going on, and I couldn't refute what they're saying. Atheism, agnosticism, homosexuality, name it, period. Throw it out there. I don't say that in arrogance. I say that in that I take God's word seriously and I'm passionate about it. And I'm not telling you this because most of you are saying, well, where the heck can I study that stuff? Where can I learn it? I'm glad that you ask because I'm going to show you. And what I'm about to show you is for those who are in here that believe in God and those who are in here and don't believe in God. Because if you're in here and you don't believe in God and you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe that kind of stuff, let me tell you something. The biggest, the biggest shame of your life would be to not go investigate it and see if it is truth. Because here's the deal. If atheism is true and we all die and go in the ground and nothing happens, then, oh well, what have we lost? But if Christianity is true and you miss the boat on it, you are lost for eternity. You better do your investigation. I have probably five to six questions Facebooked or emailed to me a week from you guys in this group, and I'll just be honest with you. 95% of my answers, because it's easier for me just to copy and paste sometimes, I just go to karm.org, pull it up and give it to you. It's awesome. I want to close with this. Some of you are in here tonight and you are a Christian. But man, you've been rendered ineffective. You're limping around. You don't really feel the peace of God. And you need some prayer, man, and you need to surrender that to God. And you need to begin to see yourself as the righteousness of God and live in the victory of Christ. If you're here tonight, I want to pray for you. So hold that thought. Some of you are here tonight, and listen, you aren't experiencing the peace in your life, and you're not experiencing hope in your life, and you're not experiencing these things in your life because, listen, you don't know Jesus, and you know that. And you need to know that Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection what was necessary for us to be restored to relationship with God because of our sin. And if you're here tonight and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I want, I want to invite you to do that tonight. I want to invite you to do that. What are you waiting on? And the third thing that I want to close with tonight on is some of you in this room, I believe God's calling into ministry. Not just ministry, like as a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever. Not that that, being a pastor or whatever is different. But I believe God's calling some of you guys to be pastors. Youth pastors, children's pastors, high school pastors, middle school pastors, college pastors, senior pastors, church planters, missionaries. And I want to ask you guys just to pray. And as the band comes up and closes us out, I want you to spend some time just praying and asking God which one of those things that he may be speaking to you about tonight. 
And then at the end, I'm going to come up and I'm going to close it out and I'm going to send everybody out to small groups. But before I do that, I'm going to ask for a response. And I'm going to ask those that are in here who say that you're Christians and you just feel like you've been limping along and you need some prayer. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and I'm going to pray over you guys in here before we go. And for those of you that need to respond to Jesus and surrender your life for him, and as you pray tonight to prepare your hearts for what he may be speaking to you about, and that little nudge that you feel in your heart right there, yeah, that's God speaking into your heart right now. I'm going to ask you to respond and surrender your life to Jesus. And thirdly, if you're here tonight and you feel called to ministry, I'm going to ask when I send everybody out to small groups, I'm going to ask all of you that feel that way, whether you've been called before or whether you feel like God may be laying out on your heart tonight, I'm going to ask you to go to the response room when we leave from here to break out to small groups because I want to meet with you guys for a couple minutes. Let's worship.